0: The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com.
1: Another episode of Between the Hashes. As always, I'm Cam Miller, joined by Tony Pauline. Tony, we got a taste of Week 0 college football action and then our straggler game on Wednesday night between UAB and long-winded thrower Tyler Johnson III.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's good to have football back. back.
0: It is. uh, Sitting here in New York, kind of drying out after all the rain that we've had for the past 24 hours. I'm uh, I'm sure that's made some national news. But yeah, I mean, the game yet last night was interesting. I thought Jacksonville State kind of of, uh, hung tight or hung in there for a little while before uh, UAB eventually broke it open like everyone thought. And we will talk about uh, the games we saw last weekend uh, during the podcast. Some which were good, most, most which were a disaster as far as I'm concerned.
1: It was was pretty ugly. You could clearly see it was obviously week zero um, on on the whole level, but also in those first quarters, very specifically those first quarters of a lot of those games. Uh, You know, we can talk about it. Let's do it now, I guess, at this point. The 2021 college football season, we were teased. We got a little taste of the action to start off. My biggest takeaway, I think, from uh, from week zero was just that, how slow the first quarter was. Uh, But then you saw Fresno State. That second quarter where Jake Hayner put up 280 yards in the second quarter alone, all those touchdowns, you know, it's, it is what it is. We didn't get the, the taste of what we're going to get this weekend. Um, but there was some, some fun
0: performances, some fun moments to look into. You just got to had to wait a little bit longer than the first quarter. I, I thought, well, my biggest take was basically, uh, same things I said last week. I, I mean, UConn's a disaster. I think it was a blessing in disguise that uh, they decided on their own to cancel their entire 2020 season, or Randy Edsel may be out of a job. I mean, that that program needs some significant change of direction real soon. They're either going to commit to 1A, uh, got to try and get into a conference if they can, or they're going to have to try and take the step down to 1AA where they were. Because, you know, the fly across the nation— Uh, and play a a mediocre but competitive team in Fresno State that plays in a mediocre but competitive conference in the Mountain West and just get your rear ends handed to you like that. I mean, that was embarrassing. I don't know how they rebound from that. I don't think it's going to get much better for UConn. They play Holy Cross this week. Uh, I mean, they should beat Holy Cross, but I would expect the game to be closer than a lot of people think. And then the other thing is, I mean, we said this last week. Well, how is Nebraska's seven-point favorites going into Illinois? I mean, is a team. Scott Frost is going to have to find a new quarterback uh, real soon. I thought that game, the score of the game was much closer than the game actually was. It was one broken play that Taylor uh, Martinez uh, scored a long touchdown with his legs. Good for him. But, you know, Taylor Martinez was not able to make the, the throws that Jake Hafner was, uh, you know, while both games were going on at the same time. I mean, Hafner was making all the, all the throws. Uh for Fresno State against UConn, and Taylor Martinez could not do that. I think uh, that one broken play plus the fact that Brandon Peters went out with a shoulder injury made that game a lot closer uh, than the scoreboard indicated. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody as
1: far as I'm concerned. No, it shouldn't have been. It was probably for betters out there. That was easy money, in my opinion, taking Illinois, not just with points straight up at that point is what I thought it should have been. And to the simple fact that, you know, he played great. Arthur Sikowski played great, but he was a Rutgers reject. Couldn't do anything at Rutgers, looked terrible at Rutgers, and all of a sudden he comes in and lights up this Nebraska defense. If that isn't telling enough for where the Nebraska defense is right now, I don't know whatever will be. There's got to be some big changes coming up. He's got to find a different quarterback. They're going to find a different head coach at this point, in my opinion, going forward. So it doesn't get easier for Nebraska uh, once they hit the me to that Big Ten schedule going forward as well either. So we're treated to a Big Ten matchup tonight, though. Minnesota versus yep. Ohio State. Kind of a unique situation. One is an experienced quarterback in Tanner Morgan, say what you will about Tanner's play in 2020. He was lights out in 2019 with the help of Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. But we're going to get the taste of CJ Stroud for the first time in competitive game action uh, against the ones of the defense in the Big Ten. So that one, that UCF Boise State game on Thursday night, my, that's what I got my eye on, especially tonight.
0: Good battles in the trenches tonight in the Ohio State Minnesota game. Uh, uh, what's his name? Fellow Fell, who did, I believe I. Probably i can probably mispronounce his, his name, and anyone who's ever listened to me knows I am the uh, master of mispronunciation of names. But uh, you know, highly uh, uh, Felelli, Fe- Fe- okay, Daniel Felley, six eight and a half, 375 pounds, loved in scouting circles, kind of Tony Pauline, wait and see sort of attitude. He's a size prospect. He's going to be going up against some real good pass rushers from Ohio State tonight. Uh, so he better be on his game to uh, protect uh, and protecting Tanner Morgan. And Fala Feli, if my memory serves me, sat out last year, decided to opt out because of COVID. Um, So that could be really what sets the tone of the game is that Ohio State pass rush. They got a real good defensive line, Uh, even though they lost some guys to the NFL because of uh, attrition, guys who uh, just graduated and guys who left early. They still got a a quality uh, defensive line, which I think is going to set the tone in that game.
1: Yep. I have it on good accord too, that I'd be interested to see how he performed this off season with a full training fall camp, spring practice. Cause word that I heard is that he actually opted out of even training last season. So in the off season during COVID, he was not doing anything. He showed up over 400 pounds, I think to camp. And then that was sort of the reason to say, Hey, I'm out of here. So I'm interested to see what he looks like on the field, uh, having practiced, having spent spring there as well. Uh, That's a, it's always going to be a pretty sexy pick for national champion. I think maybe not to start the season, but if we get a good CJ Stroud, I think that would be a trending team to pick, but that's not who we're picking. So let's discuss our, our national champions. We're going to go on record right now. I'm going to go first because I think mine may be a surprise. I think even if they drop two games this year, they have a chance of making the college football playoff. It's the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. In my opinion, nobody was playing better college football to close out the season than JT Daniels last year. He has some downfalls and some pitfalls to college quarterbacking, but he was able to make up for his lack of mobility with some awesome arm strength, some awesome – I mean, he throws from all angles. I I like Daniels as a college quarterback. We can discuss his pro potential later. Uh, But Georgia, I love the transfer influence. I love that defense, and I think that they're
0: going to be the defense to sort of set the tone of the SEC this year. So I'm picking Georgia Bulldogs as my national champion this year. Yeah, real good defense, real good offensive line, good running game. The receivers are going to have to step it up. And as you said, they're going to have to get, they're going to need some consistently positive play out of the quarterback position, whether that's JT Daniels, not only playing positive, but staying healthy. And I think JT Daniels has some upside for the next level, but he's a long ways from uh, being the early round quarterback that uh, a lot of people have projected. But I like Georgia. I I think Georgia, if they're not competing for the national title, will absolutely be competing for the SEC championship. Now, speaking about the SEC it seems that, once again, Alabama is, every, is everyone's darling as their national title pick. A lot of people like Clemson. But when I broke down the tape, in my mind, it was kind of an easy uh, choice because what I look for, I look for experience at the quarterback position. I look for playmakers and experience on the on the lines of scrimmage. And I basically look for, you know, guys that have great upside. So my pick for national champion, as far as I was concerned, was rather easy. Boomer, sooner. Spencer Rattler, I think, will be the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I think he will be an early round draft pick in 2022. I think he's someone – enough of that. I think he's (laughs) someone who – he's much more polished quarterback than Kyler Murray. He's much more physically gifted than Baker Mayfield, who brought an Oklahoma team into the college playoffs. they got a real good offensive line. They're going to have a good running game with the return of Kennedy Brooks. They've got some solid receiver, some potential at receiver. The receiver's got to step it up. they got some playmakers. But when I look at Spencer Rattler plus that Oklahoma defense, to me, that screams national title. You look at Perry and Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, two big playmakers on the college level that are going to be day two picks. Nick Benito, who I think is one of the most underrated pass rushers in the nation. Thibodeau of Oregon gets all the press, as he deservedly does, but Benito is a big playmaker. Uh, Brian Asamoah. It's going to be an early pick in the NFL draft. Not the biggest guy, but a complete three down linebacker, a small running chase type of guy who's a playmaker at the linebacker position. And they lost some guys in their secondary. But in my opinion, they bring back their number one cover man in Woody Washington. So when I look at the Oklahoma Sooners, I look at the experience that they have. I look at the playmakers that they have at the quarterback position. I look at the playmakers they have on defense. In my opinion, and they're going to run roughshod through that Big Twelve. I don't think anyone's going to stop them. Anyone's going to give them, you know, they may have some bumps in a row, but I don't think anyone's really going to put them, uh, give them a big test. Maybe Texas uh, in the Red River rivalry, but I think Oklahoma wins that game by a lot as they usually do. My pick for national champion is is Boomer Sooner of the Oklahoma Sooners. I like it. I like it. It, it would have it some fresh some blood, blood,
1: blood, blood in the. And uh, blood yeah. That college football college championship, championship game, game, I guess, game. or the national championship game, as opposed to uh, where we saw that Baker team, what, what they played great in the first half against Georgia. So there you go. We have our was that Rose Bowl 2017, 2016 season rematch potentially here. I'm I'm here for it. So I so that leads perfectly to my surprise team. I think they get talked about enough, but I think that they're going to surprise. And I think the only game that they could possibly lose this year is Oklahoma. It's just unfortunate that they could lose to Oklahoma twice this year, the Iowa State Cyclones. I I will always be a Brock Purdy fan. I will always – I think that what he does, and if he can get some players on the outside, some receivers, that can actually separate, or just in general pass catchers. Charlie Kohler ain't it. He can't separate worth a lick. None of his playmakers have been able to really separate. If you're talking about a guy who can play with five-star recruits at, at wide receiver, not just these Matt Campbell coach running backs that he has the the benefit of without having – It's that's a team that I really love. I like their defense as well. Those linebackers at Iowa state sort of can set the tone. They got great coverage skills. So that's a, that's the underneath coverage that I think can stop or slow down Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma. But I still think that that's the surprise team, that if they get plus play and a couple of people step up at
0: areas in need, Iowa state's my surprise team. And they have a great coach, a coach that the players absolutely love. So that, you know, that counts for a lot. And, you know, as we see year in and year out, when the college season is over, NFL teams basically line up for Iowa State uh, head coach, Matt Campbell, to give him an NFL job. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm staying at Iowa State. I I mean, Matt Campbell, for for all intents and purposes, should have got that Texas job last year. He should now be the head coach of Texas. I was told he didn't even consider it because if he took the Texas job, he knew he was going to have to coach against his recruits at Iowa State, and he didn't want to. I mean, the future is now for Iowa State. Good team. I just don't know that they have enough playmakers. My surprise pick – is going to be Oregon. Uh, they have an early season game against Ohio State in two weeks of game, which I will be in attendance uh, at. Uh, I'll let you know that. But when you look at Oregon, again, good offensive line, two terrific running backs in C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye. They got some real good uh, talent at the receiver position. Uh, Jalen Red is just a playmaker. Doesn't project all that well to the NFL, but he's a great college playmaker. Johnny Johnson, Devin Williams – the transfer who is really developing into a, a, a terrific uh, receiver, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously the defensive end, pass rusher. He's an impact player up front. He's going to be a very early pick in the draft as he deserves to be. They've got some other uh, some other terrific talent on the uh, on defense. Uh, I'm looking at my v- Varone McKinley, the, uh, the the safety there, M- Michael uh, Wright, the uh, cornerback it all come down to how Anthony Brown takes over a quarterback. Can Anthony Brown protect the ball? Can he play productive football, the former Boston College transfer at, at the quarterback position? If they do, I don't think they'll have a problem with that uh, Pac-12 North division. going in the Pac-12 uh, title game, probably against USC, maybe Arizona State. Uh, the uh, the uh, Oklahoma, the Ohio State game on September 11th will dictate a lot as to where Oregon is. Yeah, that team, too, with,
1: with the youngsters, at linebacker. I Sewell's brother out yeah. there, and then Justin Flo. Both those two sophomore linebackers out there are those are names for the 2023 NFL draft, I think. But this year, and Slade,
0: yeah. the Slade kid is a pretty good linebacker as yeah. well.
1: Yeah, I was actually I was surprised with Devin Williams where he was on the depth chart when they released their first yeah. depth chart, not starting. So I, I I fully suspect we see a lot of him. Just maybe didn't earn enough in camp. Uh, I like Oregon, obviously defending de facto Pac-12 champions after they didn't quite make it, but still went up. We saw what they did even at what, three and two or two and two, and they still wound up beating USC Handley last year. So talk about another coach. That's another great coach, and facilities top-notch. Oregon really has it all going for him. So if they get – I like the Anthony Brown. If they get good play out of Anthony Brown, or even just okay play, just doesn't turn it over, I think that that's a good enough team. So let's do that. Oregon has to get by Fresno State first before OSU. So that's, a, that's my week zero takeaway. If that's that Fresno State team that played that they did – I know it was against UConn, but if that's the team, that second quarter team from Fresno state that shows up for an entire four quarters against Oregon, I think Vegas has it right now at three touchdowns. I think it's a little bit closer than that because that Fresno state, it was furious, fast and furious. And if, if cramps didn't get Hayner out of that game in the first half of the third quarter for the rest of the game, we're talking about a lot more points, a lot more yards, a lot more touchdowns put up by that first first team offense at Fresno state.
0: I think it'll be a good tune-up game for them for the following week against Ohio State, where you're going to have a bit of an unknown at the quarterback position, but you're going to have two great playmakers, Ohio State, at the receiver position. So I, I think that's uh, that'll be a real good tune-up game for Oregon going into Columbus to face the Buckeyes. Yeah, uh, we, I should meet you there,
1: tailgate a little bit before the game next Saturday. So we'll discuss that outside of here. So let's flip it over now too. Let's let's do a, sort of the overarching all the NFL draft and college football news. Yeah. You said specifically something about NC State. I wanted to hear about this as pertains to the, the NFL draft.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, NC State plays uh, South Florida uh, just about an hour or two after this podcast is going to be uh, broadcast. It'll hit the uh, the airwaves, and it's a game that NC State should win handily. Now, two notes coming out of NC State. Peyton Wilson, a, guy, a linebacker who I wrote about during my North Carolina State uh, write-up in, in the ACC portion when I did the ACC teams from the ACC, I graded him as a 5th round pick. I've talked to scouts that think he is a day-two pick. I talked about his instincts. I talked about his intensity. With underclassmen, I want to wait and see what their true height and weights are. He does have some injury issues, but he is really beloved in some scouting areas. The scouts that have gone in there and and done them already, he is getting day-two grades. I'm hearing Peyton Wilson as early as the second round now. Got to hope that he improves his game from 2020 when he was all over the field. Got to hope he passes uh, medical combines when he eventually enters the draft. But Peyton Wilson, keep an eye on him tonight. Keep an eye on him during the season. The other NC State player that gets a lot of ink is Aikim Egwunu, Again, mispronunciation of the name. The offensive lineman there. Some people are already predicting him as a first-round pick. I had him as a sixth-round pick. I went back to area scouts who I trust who've already seen him play. They right now grade him as a mid-round choice, mid-round being third to fifth round. Most of them have him on the guard uh, board. They think he's unpolished. He gave up seven sacks last year in 12 uh, games. I mean, could he be a top 60, a top 75 pick? They think he's got that upside potential, but people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves now you know, taking a college tackle who projects the guard who gave up a lot of uh, sacks last year and making him an early uh, pick right now. He's got that potential, but he needs a lot of work on his game. I went back because I was questioning the fact that I gave him a six-round grade. I talked to scouts who watched him play, and they're like, "Ah, maybe six rounds a little bit late. We got him third to five right now at the guard spot.
1: Yeah, he's a big dude, and I saw, I think, yes. the biggest thing that made waves, 32nd on uh, Sir Mel Kuyper's draft board or, or whatever it was. I think that uh, was the biggest thing that I saw, or the first vindication of him being a first round by other people. But I, I, I saw the discrepancy. I thought that's what we were going to talk about. I love the Peyton Wilson talk, too, because I've seen him play. It's like a, I mean, a typical, amazing sideline to sideline kind of guy. So health, biggest thing. USF, that should help draft stock for anybody if you can play well, too, tonight. Looking forward to that. My hometown uh, USF uh, and UCF teams are in action tonight, so I'm pretty happy about that. So let's flip it now. We're going to go to the NFL. We talked about it, the way Urban Meyer handled the quarterback situation in Jacksonville. We saw them get a draft pick for Gardner Minshew. My angle is here. Yes, we can talk about Urban and whatnot, but Do you think the Eagles pulled the trigger on trading for Gardner Minshew a little, maybe a couple hours too early after Cam Newton was released? Or was Minshew sort of always that plan to back up Jalen Hurts when Joe Flacco was not there?
0: Well, I I think he kind of fits the system. Uh, I I think there's a lot of questions surrounding Jalen Hurts, as there should be. I mean, the guy barely uh, didn't play all that much in the preseason, had a a stomach bug or stomach virus, whatever it was. Uh, and, And, you know, he did not finish the 2020 season on a high note. After some early success. So I I think it's more of a system fit. Uh, I'm going to go back because we talked about it uh, last week about really this was the first strike against Urban Meyer, not basically just going with Trevor Lawrence saying Trevor Lawrence is my guy, building everything around Trevor Lawrence and let Gardner Minshew come in and kind of clean it up. What does he do? He talks about a quarterback competition, and then sure enough, he trades one of the guys that was involved with the quarterback competition. Said it last week that it was a mistake by Urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence should have been QB1 from the get-go, should have been taking all the first-team reps, should have been getting all the play with the first team in the preseason. I mean, he showed that last preseason game, you know, what kind of potential he has in the NFL. Uh, I just think that this reinforced the sort of mistake that Urban Meyer made by not uh, making Trevor Lawrence QB one from the basically from the the, the minute he drafted him, uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Hopefully, uh, you know they're, they're able to protect Trevor Lawrence. He's able to have the NFL career everyone expects him to have. I think, as far as the Eagles are concerned, I, I think the Eagles are a bit of a mess right now, offensively, front office, things like that. I, I don't think it's going well. Uh, we'll have to see if this if the uh, trade Carson Wentz, roll the dice on Jalen Hurts gamble pays off.
1: Yep, yeah, it's a that's a large gamble uh, for a guy like Jalen Hurts. I like his athletic ability. and his he's a nice guy, it seems like. But it just, in my opinion, that's a that's a large gamble to hang your your franchise on. But back to Urban Meyer, too. There's that's that was strike one. I think strike two is now the NFL PAs launched this investigation, yeah. and his answers on the COVID relation. And it was, I think, simultaneous. You have Bill Belichick answering COVID related questions like the true half a century experience that he has saying just simply no. And then you have Urban sort of opening this door to this investigation. Strike two. I mean, we're not even to the regular season yet, and we're already on strike two of Urban Meyer not knowing how to be an NFL coach. So I'm wary for the Jaguars, but specifically for Trevor Lawrence this season already. Well, Trevor Lawrence, it was
0: uh, Urban Meyer and Trevor Balky, uh, you know, the general, the de facto general manager, though, the general, I don't, you know, I don't know what, what, exactly what his title is. He brought Urban Meyer in, had some success with San Francisco, uh, was kept around at Jacksonville, but evidently, I mean, Trevor Balky name was brought up in that, you know, COVID va- or vaccination status, you know, was a de- determining factor in our final uh, roster cutdowns. downs. And, and then when the NFLPA made a lot of noise about it and said they wanted an investigation, it was no, 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 no. So yeah, you, you know, Balky probably should have, definitely should have uh, really steered uh, Urban Meyer in the right direction, uh, should have coached him better coach the coach better when it came to plan making uh, those comments who knew who knew you need to coach the coach better still at this professional level
1: but hey we're we're at where we are where we are now so back to college now as well West Virginia President Gordon Gee and I will let you do the the talk on this but basically said that the 12 team college football playoff is quote on life support
0: yeah <laughs> Gordon Gee, Gordon G., whatever uh, you want to say, of, of Ohio State fame. A lot of people remember him. was in front of the camera at Ohio State with that big bow tie. I, the only reason I bring this up is because this ties into what we talked about a week ago uh, on how it's all based on money. It's all revenue. And I had said last week that I'm against it unless the kids – or the, I shouldn't say kids. I apologize. The players who are, are, are whose teams are in that 12-team uh, college football playoff – Get their share, get, get something, you know, some sort of incentive, some sort of bonus, basically dollars to play because of the billions and billions of dollars that's going to be brought in. Now, here's the interesting thing about Gordon Gee saying it's on life support. Gordon Gee is now the president of the University of West Virginia. West Virginia is now in the Big 12. In a few years, the Big 12 can be wallowing in the mire. Who knows what West Virginia is going to do when Oklahoma and Texas take off to the SEC? So now it's a situation Gordon Gee doesn't want the Big 12 – I'm sorry – doesn't want the 12-team uh, uh, the college football uh, playoff because he knows until West Virginia finds another conference that it has a real chance of being one of those 12 teams – they're never they – got no chance to see a penny of that uh, college football money. So, again – so, once again, it comes down to dollars and cents, which most things in life do, unfortunately. But in this sense, it was so obvious to me. It's on life support, yeah, until you find West Virginia, another conference to play in to get to a uh, conference championship and play in a playoff, and then maybe get into one of those twelve coveted 12 spots to bring that revenue into uh, West Virginia. Uh, to me, it was just—it it was just a farce because it, it's so transparent that this comes down to dollars and cents. And all of a sudden tomorrow, the SEC says, "Yeah, come on, West Virginia, come on, we'll, we'll take you in with Oklahoma with Texas." Watch how quickly Gordon Gee changes his uh, his stance uh, on the twelve-team college football playoffs uh, potential.
1: Yeah, there's 16 teams in the SEC soon with Oklahoma, Texas. There's maybe one or two others that have a rightful claim that are not in the SEC to making the college football playoff all the time. So by my math, that's 112 teams that are going to agree that it's on a 12 team playoff is on life support until they get that tap, that right. big league tap to go to the SEC or perhaps figure out a conference alignment that gets them a guarantee. I get it. It makes sense. It is uh, rooted in evil, which is this money making for the higher ups and the players yeah. and what they see a little bit of it. It's, It's super unfortunate that we are at this point, but again, it goes back to what we talked about again uh, last week is there needs to be some sort of governing person, a commissioner, say what you will about the Paul Taglia Buddha, Roger Goodell transition of the commissioner in the NFL. The NFL wouldn't be where they were without the commissioner making those decisions that make some people upset, but make a lot of people happy. Um, Obviously the NFL PA is there to, to make sure the players get their share. So maybe that's where we're trending with college football or college athletics in general. So there needs to be some change. Uh, we're seeing it sort of trickle down. We won't see it until 2025, but it's at least we're happening some change. Hopefully it happens for the better for the
0: players, in my opinion, because that's ultimately why we watch. It's for the players. So. And, and I, I don't think the, just uh, these super conferences getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I, I don't think helps anybody. doesn't help the competition. doesn't help the uh, players. It's going to help the bottom lines for these universities and some of these conferences. Uh, as far as uh, you know, putting a, a commissioner or somebody in charge – Let's just hope it's not the NCAA because they find a way to screw everything up. They really do and that's why I think we need the commissioner sure that's not affiliated, but that's a that's
1: a story for another day. We got football coming up. Tonight, tomorrow, 18 games, 12 games, whatever it is, tonight and then even more on Saturday. So many games to to sort of talk about, but there's one in particular that's going to get everybody's eye. Yeah. They're already calling it the game of the year just because of preseason rankings. Say what you will about preseason rankings. I think they're always going to be trash or rooted in big name, get a high-ranking type of deal. Uh, but Clemson versus Georgia, these are two teams that obviously warrant their high-ranking, so this could be, very well be the potential non-conference or out-of-conference game of the year between these two, Chick-fil-A kickoff bowl. From a 2022 NFL draft prospect matchup in these
0: two. this game against these two teams, what are you most looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to Justin Ross returning to the field with that neck injury to see how he does. Uh, Justin Ross right now he's a junior he carries some mid first round grades but neck injuries you know can be kind of finicky and not all teams are going to look at him uh, look at it the same way hopefully Justin Ross you know returns to the dominance that he showed in 2019 uh, and and even earlier when Trevor Lawrence was throwing the football goes up against Darion Kendrick ironically the former Clemson cornerback who was dismissed from the program after last season he's a guy who's got great upside potential He's someone who in 2019 looked like he was well on his way to being a first-round prospect, but then kind of fell off last year. Obviously, whatever whatever the issues were off the field were affecting his on-the-field play. Very athletic, but just didn't seem to really be getting it between the ears last year. Seemed to be kind of hesitant, struggled making plays with his back to the ball. So the Darion Kendrick-Justin Ross matchup is going to be an exciting one. What I'm going to miss out on, or what, I, what we're, we are going to miss out on is Georgia has another tremendous cornerback transfer, Tykey Smith, who came over from West Virginia. I actually have Tyke Smith graded higher than Darion Kendrick uh, right now on my cornerback board. I didn't talk about Tyke Smith when I did the Georgia write up because I hadn't watched the Georgia film yet. Big 12 is one of the last conferences I do. Tyke Smith last year for West Virginia was tremendous all over the field making plays, outstanding cover skills, a tough, feisty guy. Unlikely he's going to play because he's been suffering from a foot injury. But, you know, Georgia with, you know, they they lost lost Tyson Campbell. They lost Eric Stokes at the cornerback position. They replaced him with Darion Kendrick and Tyke Smith. Obviously, Justin Ross comes back into the mix for Clemson. It's going to be a real good matchup between Justin Ross and Darion Kendrick most likely we're not going to see Tyke Smith, but that's a guy to keep on your scouting radar moving forward. He was
1: one of my favorite players to play in college football the past decade that I've been really watching it and tracking it from this angle. Uh, I forget the name of the West Virginia position he played, but Husky or Wolf or Rover, essentially another box safety nickel corner, but starting. So it's not like when you, I feel like general people, when they hear nickel, they think it's, oh, it's the third cornerback. No, this kid was the heart and soul of that West Virginia defense. Athletic coverage ability. I mean, he made the one game-saving interception. Uh, I believe I forget which game it is. In the back of the end zone, a toe-tapper. Ball skills, he's a little bit shorter for the general NFL cornerback, but I think that's where he the strength sort of is, though, with the ball skills. I love the way he plays football. I'm excited to see JT Daniels sort of work through progressions as well against a guy in Andrew Booth outside for Clemson. If, if Darion Kendrick is back and playing 2019 film at Clemson, or the, the level that he showed, and you have Booth and Kendrick, then I would definitely say Clemson wins this game. But now with Kendrick not there, Booth being the main guy to contend with, I'm excited to see JT Daniels work sort of against that top – the
0: top-tier corner, that guy and, and Andrew Booth. And Booth corner, sort of moves from that nickel position into a starting field corner, if you will. I mean, he's going to be relied upon as Clemson's number one corner. Goes up against George Pickens, the explosive receiver from Georgia. I mean, George's receivers are good, but they' got to elevate their play if the team really wants to contend for a national title from the offensive side of the ball. We know what they can do on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned J T. Daniels. They lost some receivers. Some of their existing receivers have got to really step up uh, step up and elevate their game, starting with George Pickens.
1: Yep, and no, no uh, I believe they're, Georgia's about both of their tight ends. Eric Gilbert not on the team for personal reasons. And then they lost Darnell Washington, the backup tight end, to the same sort of injury, I think, as Tykee Smith, a foot or ankle injury. So tight end's going to be a little thin for Georgia going forward, at least. We'll see what they can do. Uh, to me, this one, though, has, I mean, every angle of why you watch college football, whether it's you're watching for draft prospects, you're watching for college, or you're watching for college fantasy football even. This has everything to top-tier coaches as well. Maybe the coming out party for DJ Ualungalele as well. We got yeah. him for at least this year and next year. We'll see. Quarter. This could be one of the quarterback matchups if he plays up to uh, you know his recruiting profile and the way he what he showcased in two games last year too.
0: Yeah, it'll be. It may be a coming out party for him nationally, but he was. And I mentioned this earlier. He was real good uh, last year in those two games. I'm really excited to see him play. I mean, he's going to be thrown into the fire. It was a little bit last year that Notre Dame game, although that was the second game he played. But he's going to re- re- really be thrown into the fire this year uh, with sort of a depleted uh, receiver core or, or Justin Ross coming back. We don't I, I, let me re- retract that with a depleted uh, receiver core with just Justin Ross coming back. We don't know what we're getting from him. You know, limited running game with tra- Travis Etienne now in the NFL, uh, kind of a reshuffling, lost some offensive line. And so it's going to be a big game for him. But I'm very excited to watch him play. I think he's a he's a dynamite quarterback prospect moving forward. Yeah,
1: and I'm excited to see one last player on Clemson too. Brian Breesey, the highly touted five-star, maybe the best defensive prospect that the the scouting circles in high school have ever scouted next to Kayvon Thibodeau as well. So we're seeing two of maybe the you know highest ranked defensive ends play on the same weekend here again. Thibodeau, but then also, I mean, Brian Breesey is a
0: guy who wrecks. I mean, the entire side of an offensive line when he's playing the top of
1: his game. So, this will you know, be really- and, and, and he's
0: going to be playing right next to Tyler Davis, who is an <laughs> underrated defensive tackle. Davis will occasionally make plays on the ball. But what he does is he's just so strong and he just occupies the gaps and he holds up uh, one and two blockers and, and creates opportunities uh, for his other linemates. So I, I think that's going to help Reese a lot. Yeah. This is
1: it. This is uh, the game of the the opening slate of college football, the game of the year. And it's not even done at that either. When we're done, we have Notre Dame FSU, which is a rematch of the game of the century from uh, God, I don't even want to say it. Basically, 30 years ago. Uh, I feel old now saying that. So uh, and then we have what Louisville versus Ole Miss on Monday night, too. So it's not quite the Miami FSU Labor Day game that we got so used to in the mid 2000s when they were. Top 10 programs, but at least we get uh, Lane Kiffin and throw it as a clipboard, perhaps on Monday night for Labor Day, too. So it's an exciting slate of college football. And then we're testing you know, teasing that right into NFL football next week when we're here talking Tom Brady versus Dak Prescott and NFL's return. So it's a pretty exciting weekend to be a college football fan, a football fan in general, or just uh, a fan of good old American sports because why not? So this was Between the Hashes, the Pro Football Network podcast for Tony Pauline.